we do skits here, the main, just the main thing we want you to get out of that is that Jesus saves, Jesus wins, Jesus is unbeatable. He never loses. He never, he never fails. He never, and a lot of you, I would say there's probably students in this room right now. You identify with those, the, the kids that are in the skit and you don't, I don't want you to overthink it and try to don't like overanalyze it. Just, it's just a picture of Christ saving us just like last night, that skit with the, with the big window and everything. It's a picture of Jesus saving us from sin. And, uh, that's just, it's an awesome, an awesome thought. I got this iPhone here. These things are unbelievable. Um, so I, I I'm not, I'm not tech savvy. Uh, today I tried to send a fax. You guys know what a fax is? Those are from like the eighties. I couldn't pull it off. I had to get the girl in the office to do it. Well, what? Okay. So I get, I get this phone and I didn't realize you could shorten the passcode on it. Mine had like eight or 10 numbers and it was all like old NBA players like Jordan, Bird, Magic. Some of you don't even know who those people are. And I would, I would mash the little button. Then I would go through all these numbers, you know. Somebody saw me do it and they're like, what are you doing, man? I was like, I'm opening my phone up. You know, it took me like a like 15 minutes to get into my phone. They're like, I mean, you can shorten that down, you know? So they showed me how to shorten it down. Well, then I, I found somebody else then came along and said, I mean, why you, why you use numbers? Why don't you use the, the thumbprint thing? I was like, the, the, the who, the, who? the, the, who do you, uh, you know, so you just, you hit the phone and then you, you know, your thumb, it, it's like magic. <laughs> if you guys have seen this, it's incredible. See, so click it off. Okay. Just let, make sure everybody sees this in case you never saw it. You just click it on, hold your thumb there. Whoop. Hey, there we go. Okay. So pretty amazing. So I got to, <clears throat> got to thinking about this and I brought my phone up tonight cause I'm going to read y'all something off of it in a minute, but I got thinking about this what, fingerprints. What an incredible thing. When we were, when we were, uh, several times in my life, I've had to be fingerprinted sometimes less funny than others. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a few guys in here that knew me 20 years ago. And so they definitely see the humor in that comment. Um, but, uh, but, uh, recently, more recently had to get fingerprinted for adoption stuff. We're going over traveling overseas and stuff like that. And, uh, so, isn't it crazy? It, your fingerprints, it's crazy, isn't it? Like that they're, that they're so unique. Nobody else has got the same fingerprints as you. And here was, here was the curveball. Here's what blew my mind. <laughs> I'm easily entertained. I picked my phone up one day with my left hand. Watch this. Y'all ready? You see the little try again guy? He's going like this. Uh-huh. Well, come on, dude. It's just a thumb. It's the same. It's the same body. <laughs> it's just the opposite side. Well, apparently it's not the same fingerprint, <coughs> which means that that just think about this for a minute. You are so intricately woven together that not only do you not have the same fingerprints as another human, you don't even have the same two fingerprints on your body. Is God creative? Is God a God of wonder and awe and creativity? And the Bible says that even the hairs on your head are numbered. 
He knows your fingerprints. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows, he knows everything about you. God has such personal interest in you. If we could say that personal interest, like you, you actually matter to him. It's a big deal. Really cool thought. And so we're walking through this Ephesians two passage and we're going to pick up where we left off this morning. <coughs> and we're talking about this idea of God taking people who are in verse 12. We saw this Christless alienated, just strangers, just sort of wandering through life. And, and God gives us identity and family and a place and purpose. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. I love this passage. My two favorite passages in the Bible. People always ask, a lot of times people ask, what's your favorite verse? I have two favorite chapters, Romans eight and Ephesians two. It's my two favorite chapters. And, uh, so it's pretty exciting to get to preach from Ephesians two this summer. So let's, let's pick up. Uh, I know we got a little further than this this morning. We're going to go back and catch verse 14 and overlap. Start from verse 14, go to the end. And just continue through this passage for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. We talked about that this morning by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Here's what he's saying. Remember how this morning we talked about it used to be before Jesus, there were Jews and Gentiles. Those were the, like the two different categories of people. He's saying now there's a third category and it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. This third category is for all people. And it's just that you're a believer. You're a Christian. I love, I love the fact. I'll tell you something that's really awesome. Living in a multi-ethnic family. Uh, and it's also very funny. Uh, because you get really funny looks from people when, cause, cause Moses doesn't look like me <laughs> he, he's, for one. He's a lot shorter, but he's also a lot darker. <laughs> and so when we're in public and he says, daddy, this daddy, that daddy, daddy, daddy. And people are like, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I, a lot of times I just forget to pause and appreciate it. We get really funny looks from people. You know, they're like, staring like that, you know, it's really funny. Uh, and sometimes I have fun with it. Um, like we were recently at a, at a, at a a state monument and Moses was doing his best to destroy this monument. And I was like, people were getting real uncomfortable, you know, real nervous. And I was like, I'm just going to stand here and see how this shakes out. nobody's going to know that's my son, you know? And so I'm standing there. It's so awesome, man. Cause and Juju was also playing on the monument and they're on top of it. And uh, <laughs> this security guy comes out there and he's like, <sighs> he's looking around for their parents, you know? And I'm just like, I oh, know, man, them two kids been jumping around on that thing for like 30 minutes. <laughs> and the guy's like, He's just so frustrated, you know, and I, I finally, I was like, no, man, they're my kids. I'm just messing with you. I'll get them down. So I made them get down. It's really funny. Another time we were down in the Nanahala Gorge and there's a lot of people down there that are like, uh, I don't know, like nature people, you know, like nature, they love trees and stuff. I love trees, you know, I love, but you know what I'm saying? And so <laughs> Caleb, Caleb, that was a good one, man. 
Hey, I'm calling you out. That was a good one. That was a good one. That was a good one. And my boy Caleb. Um, so, yeah, there, there's this tree, this skinny tree. And we go this one place at the Nanahale Outdoor Center. When you go rafting this week, the last place you get out, the Nanahale Outdoor Center, it's where you get out of the, the river. And there's this little tree by this little coffee shop there we like to go to. And my kids will climb up this tree, and it's weak. The tree's small enough. They get up high enough, and it starts bending. And then they just, we call it tree, we just call it riding trees. It's not very creative. But I've done it my whole life. You climb up, and if you get on one on the side of a mountain, you can just kind of ride. And as it bends over, it, you know, rides you to the ground like that. Well, Juju and Mo, man, they'll be climbing on that tree, and people come out there. They're, like, looking for their parents. And I always just let them squirm for a little while. Finally, I'm like, that's my kids. I'm I, I'm sorry. I, you know what? If they break your tree, I'll buy you a new one. You know, we'll plant a new tree right there. It'll be all right. But I love, <coughs> I love being in in a in a multi ethnic family because that's what heaven's going to be like. You know, like there's this there's this scene in the Book of Revelation where uh, people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every like all the people groups of the earth from here to like northern Asia, like up like northern Russia down into central Africa and out to Southeast Asia and, you know, all the way, like up and down this side of the globe, like North America, South America, people from every tribe, they're they're estimated to be about 16,000 people groups on the planet. And people from every one of those people groups are going to be around the throne of God and be worshiping God. So when he says there used to be Jew and Gentile, now he's like, there's, there's one man in Christ. Like in Christ, here's what he's saying. We're all part of the same kingdom. We're all part of the same family. We're all part of the same building. He's going to give us these three pictures. We're all one family. We're all one kingdom. We're all one nation. And it's a, it's a really powerful picture of what God does when he saves us. And so we're going to just kind of break this down and unpack it. <coughs> but I wanted to tell you about a guy who is, we, we're doing some really cool work. The Lord has opened up doors. See, Snowbird Outfitters is actually a, a commercial outfitter. This enables us to go into some pretty remote places and lead backcountry expeditions and trips like that. So we run summer camp, but we're also like an actual commercial outfitter. So we've done some training in the Himalayas. We train local guides, train local river guides, local climbing guides, local uh, like uh, Sherpa type folks, guys that, that carry equipment for other, uh, for other expeditions, stuff like that. So the Lord has used that to open up doors for us to go into that part of the world. Now, if you're wondering about maybe how you could get involved in missions, think outside of the box because God has opened up doors for us to go into a completely closed off area where you can't go as a missionary, but we're able to go in there and do, do awesome work and, and actually share the gospel. Nobody messes with us. Okay. So this area is a place called, but it is predominantly Buddhist. So they are, they, those people are, they take part in the religion of Buddhism. They worship Buddha. Okay. And what's, what's interesting about Buddhists is that they're actually very violent people. Uh, there's a, over here in America, enough Hollywood movie stars have tried to make Buddhism like really attractive so that people think it's like this really peaceful religion. Do you know it is not, it is very violent. And so in that region, there's a lot of Buddhists and there's this association called, and they'll beat you up. If you're a Christian, they'll beat you up, throw you in jail. They will even kill you. And then on the, uh, and then the next region over, like if you're looking at a map, there's the, 
there's another place, and that's predominantly Muslim and animist. Animism is when you worship, like, natural things. You know, think of, like, uh, the old ancient Native Americans who'd worship the sun, worship the moon, stuff like that. So kind of a mix of that and, and Islam. And so all of that region is, is, is what you would call unreached. It's unreached. They don't have the gospel. So they don't, they don't, there aren't believers. There aren't churches. And so the Lord laid it on the, on our hearts some years ago to target that region. And, and the Lord laid it on our hearts because we had opportunity to go in there and do some, some teaching, some training. And, and God led us, we asked God to give us like lead us to, to a person who could help us reach those people because we don't know the culture. We don't know the language. Well, God led us to this guy named and that's the guy we, that you saw Zach talked about him this morning. He's the guy we're saving money to get a truck for him. So had been, had ra- been raised in Cargill, uh, which is an area, one of the areas I just mentioned. And it's the Muslim side of, of that region. And he, but his parents sent him to, they wanted to send him to a good school. So as a young man, they sent him to a school that the best schools in the area, like in the country are Christian schools. So they sent him to a Christian school. So he'd get a good education. And what he got was Jesus. That's like, that's pretty legit. You know, like that's not a bad deal. So he goes down there, he gets saved, man. He meets Jesus. So he becomes a Christian. Well, but so he comes back up and he had a rough go of it. He tries to like take a stand. He gets beat up by the woman in jail. He's like, man, I don't think I want to do this. I want to follow Jesus, but I want to do it quietly, you know? And so we started to train, disciple, invest in him. We spend a lot of time over there each year, two, three, four times a year. We're over there instructing, discipling, training this guy. And what, what has happened is in the last four or five years, listen, there are now 13 believers in that region that was previously unreached because he's carrying the load and he's taking the gospel of these people. And, uh, in fact, two of our staff were there this past winter doing a training. We flew 12 Christians out of that region down 12 or 13 down into another place called place and it was a warmer climate because it's cold up there, man. It's like from October to April, you don't like nobody moves. They just like, they just like stay inside and keep, try to keep warm. It's, it's unbelievably cold there. And so from October to April, nobody does anything. And so we flew these guys to this warmer place. It was still kind of cold, but it was warmer. And, and so, uh, and we did a discipleship training, which just means we're teaching them about Jesus teaching them how to follow the Lord, like more faithfully, how to be faithful to what God's given them, their, their salvation and how to reach others. Really awesome training. Okay. Now, while we were baptized, three of them, there were three of them were new converts, new believers. So baptized these three guys. And it was awesome, man. He said that we're getting like, we're, we're showing it in our church, like video of this stuff. It's just awesome. And these believers, now listen, this isn't an area where you can be beaten up at the very least. Or thrown in jail after being beaten up. Or you could be killed for the gospel. And these 13 believers who previously had no understanding of the gospel stood on the side of this river. Called, and after, after having been baptized into that river, they stand there and they sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow no turning back, no turning back. And when they sing those words, there's a lot of weight to those words because for them to not turn back means they will surely face persecution. 
And we're committed to go disciple them and minister to them and grow the church in that region because they are willing to do whatever it takes to suffer for the gospel and for the name of Jesus because they embrace a passage of scripture like Romans chapter 8 verse 18 that says, I consider that the sufferings of this present life are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in Christ Jesus. Because they have their eyes fixed on something that is more permanent, greater, and eternal. They get it. They get Jesus. And Jesus has got them. It's your identity. And so they go back after the winter training. We, we fly them all back. I mean, we literally flew all these people out of the north into this place and kept them there a couple months. Flew them back up. They scattered back out throughout this region. And we're praying, Lord, would you raise up some of these men to be leaders so that we could, because these 13 guys and gals are from several different locations across that region. And then our, our man is trying to travel around and disciple them and help them grow strong. They don't have a church like you and I have where we meet on Sunday morning. They're just having to three or four of them get together and have what they call fellowship, which is church. On Sundays, they do this. And then throughout the week, they'll do it. And so one of the guys is a guy named Sam. Another one is a guy named uh, uh, and and uh, uh, living in Cargill. He was a Muslim. He's a devout Muslim. Had a vision. Now, in America, people freak out when you say stuff like that. Like, had a vision? What is a vision exactly? The Baptist folks get really uncomfortable with this. It's okay. I can make those jokes. I'm Baptist. Ooh, a vision. Like a vision quest? Like a dream? What? Like, is it a dream or a vision? I don't know, man. He had a vision. Jesus came and talked to him. <gasps> what? Yeah, man. Crazy stuff happens. Like when the Lord starts moving and working. So the Lord comes and speaks. Like this guy's a vision. And in his vision, this Muslim man is told, don't leave your house. I'm going to send you the most important message you'll ever hear. So this cat stays locked up, like stays in his little house in this village for four, three or four days. Okay, like the third or fourth day, this is, shows up. It's his old buddy. Been in another place. It was one of the ones that got saved and baptized in that river. Okay, and so has been compelled by the Lord to go tell his buddy about Jesus, to tell him the gospel. Just true. This is ain't y'all. I didn't read this in a book somewhere. Like this is this happened. Like we know this happened. Like we're all up in the middle of this. Okay. And so like we're eyewitnesses to this. I'm not telling you somebody told me they read a story. They heard this like this straight up. Like we're talking with these people regularly. So it's like, I need to go tell my friend about Jesus. Why did he do that? The Holy spirit compelled him to do that. So he goes over there. He walks up, knocks on the door door and he's like dude i've been waiting for you for four days please tell me you got something really important to say to me and he's like actually i do and then you know he's thinking man this sharing the gospel thing is easy man you just show up and people are like yeah what's up and so he shares the gospel gets saved those two guys got baptized back in the winter when we did this thing down in baptized them in that river that was it's a pagan river where they worship hindu gods it was the third religion we've mentioned tonight that it's it's like they do all these like worship things to these Hindu gods in that river. Like they use it for pagan worship. We rolled up in there and them suckers got dunked in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. That river is now holy. You know, it's like, that's what I'm talking about. And so, so then now these guys are in this place called, um, uh, in, in, in the place I mentioned earlier called 
They start loving Jesus, following Jesus. They're like, let's get some other people to know Jesus. So they start telling people about Jesus because that's what you do when you get saved and you get it for real. And so we recently got an email from, came to Spencer. And this email is giving the account of now the 14th believer because a new, a new cat just got saved. Let me just read this to you. Dear Spencer, this is from, by the way, greetings from the church here. Hope all is good there. I had a great time in this week. We got to meet all the believers. Now where lives is about a, a 10 or 12 hour taxi ride up to Cargill. So the, the, these guys are spread out y'all. This would be like, we got folks from Tampa, right? The Tampa area. Okay. What, how long did it take y'all? 10, 12 hours. 10. So, so imagine there was two or three believers down there and two or three of us here were Christians. And that was a church. That's crazy, isn't it? That's the believers. No more in between. Okay. So, so Gulzar's driving back and forth. So he, he's just driven up there. Everyone is doing well. And it was amazing to hear their stories of what the Lord is doing in their lives. Everyone is growing in faith daily. We have a new believer added to the church. His name is from village from where are from. Look, them two suckers got saved and they are gunslinging, man. They're like going after people with the gospel. I love it. He's 39 years old. He's married, has a wife and three kids. He's a taxi driver. Had never heard about Jesus, but after meeting, shared about his life and the experience he got during the training and interested in knowing more about Jesus. He would walk 30 minutes from his home every day for the last two months so that he could read the Bible and hear more from uh, and village there are around 40 houses and only a bible that night i had a hard time sleeping as tears filled my eyes for the so many people who had never heard about jesus there are still so many people like who are empty in their heart and jesus is the only answer the next day we took to the river and had fellowship and after fellowship i baptized him in the river he is the first person in the history of to get baptized in this we got pictures. You want to see them? All right. We got pictures. This is, this is like, this is incredible. All right. Now look, okay. That's wearing a snowbird shirt. All right. And he's dunking his, his new brother, our new brother. All right. And then he comes up out of the water. There he is. This guy was Muslim just a couple weeks ago. This cat right here, man, he was praying to demons three, five times a day. He'd face east and pray to demons, okay? Like, and he has been washed in the blood of Jesus, and we just made river holy too, you know? Like, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, kapow, man. We're checking rivers off the list over there. And that's just, so when you give money down there in a the little bucket or up at the Swole Underground, we're buying this joker a truck because he's a, man, he's getting it done. Five straight years now, he's been putting boot leather all to village to village. We've been over there. We've walked, we've we, like, we've had guys embedded with him for months on end, just walking village to village. That man loves Jesus. And he believes that there used to be two Jew and Gentile. And now it don't matter where you're from, what village you come out of. If you're from Buddhist background, Muslim background, Hindu background, if you're Nepali, if you're Indian, if you're Pakistani, he knows there's one in Christ. And he's going to make sure everybody in his path can hear the gospel of Jesus. That's our, our brother. Okay, so let me keep going. Uh, I will send the baptism photo uh, when I get it from. Okay, so that's what we just saw. We got that. He was telling me how his son, Mohammed, would sing Christian songs on the way to school. <laughs> the kid's name is Mohammed, and he's singing about Jesus <laughs> on the way to school, man. I love that. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> 
This is awesome. It's doing good, too. He's sharing his faith. For those of you who didn't get that, why that was funny, Muhammad is the prophet of Islam, okay? So, like, that's why that's so funny. So, this little kid named, named after this de- demonic prophet is, like, you know, singing about Jesus. You know, like, it's just awesome. Doing good, too. He's sharing his faith with a person from his village by the name of... Write his name down. Pray for him. He's going to get saved. He's next on the hit list. All right? Spurgeon talked about the hounds of heaven will come after you. That's how I got saved. That's what's going to happen to believe it. He has not yet accepted Jesus, but listens and reads the Bible. I didn't get to meet. He was not in the village. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing. The believers in are growing in faith. My heart is filled with joy. Every time I see a new soul snatched away from the hand of the enemy, we all went on a hike for three hours and came through two villages in both villages. We shared the word of God in the language and family as two, as uh, two more of the believers we've been training uh, are giving a party tomorrow because it's their one year of faith in Christ. They are a happy family. It's another family that, that I hadn't told you about, but they're in that number of 13. They've been believers for a year now. Every Sunday we meet for fellowship. It's great to see them. Their hunger for the word of God is so much. My family is doing good. Getting older. That's son. God is good. I share with believers in about Red Oak, that's our church here, and Snowbird, that's you guys, the campers, your love and concern for the people. We always remember you all. The believers send their regard in him. That reads a lot like a New Testament letter. It reads a lot like Ephesians or Colossians or Titus. It's powerful, y'all. And the reason I share that with you tonight, other than we just need to share stuff like that. So we get excited and realize the gospel is advancing by share it because like, I, and that, that just took me like 13 minutes to share that. And so I, like I shortened the sermon on the text, but I feel like, like when we're talking about the two becoming one, like this idea that everyone, no matter where you're from, like went through Christ, you become part of this one kingdom, this one family. That's what the text is telling us. Like there's this one nation, this one kingdom where Christ rules and reigns. It's going to be eternal. People from every tribe and tongue are going to be there. That's what the gospel does. It advances. It take like, like cultural walls. Don't stop it. Educational walls. Don't stop it. Governmental walls. Don't stop it. Uh, language barriers do not stop it. The gospel advances. The gospel will not fail. When the lion of Judah roars, nothing can stop. Like the, there's no stopping the advance of the gospel, but we need to take part in it because it's on us to share the gospel and to work and to, and to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. Okay. So we'll keep, keep rolling here. So he says, uh, let's, let's go down, uh, pick up in verse, uh, I think we got verse 17. Okay. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and preached peace to those who are near. Talking about Jesus preaching peace. And listen, this is really cool. The idea of Jesus proclaiming and preaching. Like Jesus, before he ever came into the world, he spoke creation into existence. So he preached in the sense that he proclaimed or spoke creation into existence. All right. And then he spoke uh, to the prophets and he spoke through the prophets. Uh, the Bible tells us in First Peter that when the prophets... Long prophets were the guys long before Jesus came into the world who were like preaching and proclaiming that Christ was going to come, that Jesus was actually speaking through them. So Christ was preaching and speaking and proclaiming before he ever came into the world. Then while he was on the earth, he preached and proclaimed. And then after he had left, he preached and proclaimed through us. 
And then, and then in his death, he proclaimed victory over death. The Bible says when Jesus died, he wasn't like dying on accident. He was dying on mission. He was dying on purpose. He said, nobody takes my life from me. I'll lay it down. And if I lay it down, I will take it up again. Jesus died on purpose to kill sin, to kill death, to save you. That's the gospel. Jesus did not die so that you could live. Jesus died so that you could die. Jesus raised from the dead so that you could live. So we identify with him in his death. We identify with him in his burial. We identify with him in his resurrection. And the scripture says that when we come through that process of being saved by the power of the gospel, we emerge as new creations, new identity. The old person is gone. A new person has come. It's the power of the gospel. So we're seeing with, with our boy, the cat driving his taxi cab around now, saved by the blood of Jesus. He got it. He's a new creation. And others are going to be saved because of it. Verse 18, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. Okay. This is really cool. It's a picture of like the Trinity at work. The Trinity is the fact that God is, God exists in three persons, father, son, Holy spirit. Maybe you've heard of that terminology and it's hard to understand. We can't you, like, you cannot completely understand the Trinity. And that's okay. We talked a little bit about this last night. The fact that there are certain things that are too wonderful and marvelous for us to understand completely. And that's okay. God exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we believe that God the Father is God. And we believe that God the Son is God. And we believe that God the Holy Spirit is God. Okay, we believe that. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so what he does is he gives us three pictures here. Like, remember he said in verse 12, you were Christless. You're wandering around. You're alienated. Now he gives us these three, these three pictures. The first two are you're now a citizen in a kingdom and a family member in a household. Now this is really cool. This idea is cool. Cause I, I tell you, I can remember in 1994, it's a long time ago, 1994, it was the 50th anniversary of the D-Day invasion. If you, for you history buffs, probably not a lot of history buffs in here, but for you guys that pay attention, in 1944, there was this massive uh, deal uh, where we, like, like Allied forces, stormed into France. And one of the places we stormed was a place called Omaha Beach in Normandy. And in that place, thousands of Americans and, and Canadians and British soldiers died. Okay? Now, here's what happened. <clears throat> In 1994, it was the 50-year anniversary of that, okay? And I was in a place called Bedford, Virginia. We got some folks from close to there. I was in a place called Bedford, Virginia. That's right. Shout out to the Bedford people, okay? And they have this, in Bedford, Virginia, they have the D-Day, like, National Museum, okay? The reason they put it in Bedford, Virginia is because Bedford County, Virginia, sent about 30 young men from that county went in that Omaha beach invasion and about 20 of them died. So I want you to imagine this little town, this little County and 20 young men. Like I can think about our little town here. It's teeny tiny, less than 2000 people. And if 20 young men died from this town, huge price to pay. Right? So I went to this Memorial day service, which was about a week before the D day anniversary. And 
and there were people, it was a big to do, man. It was a big deal. Like, like that was a big one. And then some years later when they launched this museum, it was another huge deal. They brought in, I mean, people from all over the country came in. And I remember that day there were soldiers, there were Marines, there were, there were airmen, there were people from all branches of the military out in force, huge numbers in this little teeny tiny town. And they had the three of the survivors of that invasion that are from that County were there that day. These men were in their 70s. One of them had lost an eye, so he still got like this pirate patch thing going. He was like, he was a salty old dude, you could tell. And one of them was in a wheelchair, and one of them, I couldn't see any visible injuries. He walked right out there. They brought him out on stage. I watched grown men, Marines and Army Rangers, a guy standing at full attention, weeping as these men were recognized for the sacrifice that their, that their town and that, their, that they had paid in their own lives and here was what was crazy. Right in the middle of that, so they do the they do like the the, the twenty one gun salute. They play taps. They read the names of all those twenty young men who died. And then right in the middle of it, there comes like we hear these this noise, and it's three F fifteen fighter jets, and they come right overhead, and they're cruising real low, and then the one in the middle turns up when he gets right over top of us. It starts going up, and then he hits the afterburners, which means he goes really fast. That's like super turbo. And, and he goes supersonic, which means he breaks the sound barrier. This explosive noise as he shoots straight up out of sight, and it symbolically represented the souls of those who had died for, for our freedom going to be with the Lord. It was a powerful moment where in that moment I was extremely thankful and I'm not ashamed to say proud to be an American. I was real, real thankful for the sacrifices that had been paid. I was real thankful for people that were willing to die. And I'm going to tell you something. As thankful as I am for my citizenship in this country, and I've lived abroad, and I've been in difficult places, and it's always comforting to come back to this place. I'll tell you something. As a Christian, I am a citizen in a kingdom that will never end. With a king who will never be dethroned. There will never be an election or a re-election. Because there's one king. And he's the king of kings. And he will rule and reign forever and ever and ever and ever. And one of the things that is offered to us as sons and daughters of God. If you're not a Christian tonight. One of the things God's offering to you is. You don't have to be a stranger. You don't have to be separated. You can become a citizen in this kingdom. It's a powerful word picture. The second thing he, he, he uses and points out there in verse 19 is that you can be, we can be members of a household. I love this one because I love, there's only a couple places in the world where I feel, feel like I can completely relax and be myself. One of them's at my mama's house. I love my mama. I go to my mama's house. I kick back in the easy chair. Chair goes up. I sit there with my stepdad. My stepdad's a construction worker. He's like 60 years old. He's been working construction like 43 years or something. My stepdad's salty, man. He's old school country. Like he wakes up in the morning and for breakfast, he has a dip of Copenhagen and a half a pot of black coffee. Like, you know, like that, like he's that guy. It's like, he's creeping and like creaking and popping and kind of trying to get his body rolling and he's off to work. And I love sitting there with him at the end of the day. We'll sit there in the chairs. I feel like I finally reached like that, that point of manhood. Where I like, I deserve a spot in one of the lazy boy chairs, you know, like at holidays and stuff. So I remember when I was a kid, my dad would all, my dad and uncles would be like snoozing, you know, and we're all playing. So I love being at my mom's house and sit back and my mom, there's always fresh coffee on. And there's usually some kind of sweets. My mom will say, she'll say something like, 
I'm the oldest of eight. My mom's got 20 grandkids. I think it's 20. There's like eight kids. She's so good, man. She'll come over to me and she'll say, hey, hey, baby, you need some more coffee? Well, mama, get you some more coffee? I'm 44 years old. And you know what I do? I say, "Mm mm-hmm. Yes, I do. (laughs) You want another brownie? Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you, mama. (laughs) Ooh, baby, you cold. You feel chilly. Let me put a blanket on you. Thank you, mama. That feels good. (laughs) I love watching TV at mama's house, man. I can be myself at mama's house. I love it. This is awesome. Love it, man. Like like the scripture says, the family of God, listen, y'all, should be like that, where we're so comfortable with each other. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be difficulty. But you come from the darkness into the light. What happens is you come from being a person who's alienated with no home to being not only a citizen in a kingdom, but literally a member of the household of the king. That's good, man. Like our brother. Me and him don't look nothing alike. Well, this is my brother. I love using that phrase, brother, so-and-so, or hey, brother. Like, it's just this powerful picture that we're members of a household, a family. And the last word picture he paints for us, keep going in verse 20, he says, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. What's he saying? He's saying you're a citizen in a kingdom. You're a member of a family in a household, and you're a part of this new temple, this new structure. Literally, there's another place that says each of us is like the tabernacle, the temple where God's spirit dwells. Here, what he's saying is all of us collectively who are Christians form this dwelling place of God. What he's saying is that as believers, the spirit of God dwells among us. We have unity and fellowship and love for one another. And we're knit together by the bond that we have in Christ. We're literally the dwelling place of God. Listen, if you're not a Christian tonight, we invite you to come be part of this family, to come be part of this building, to come be part of this kingdom where you get identity, you get value, you get purpose, you get direction. You don't have to stumble around through life trying to figure out who you are. You get to worship Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus, the king who sits on the throne and the father who rules over the household. It's a powerful scene. It's a powerful picture. And I hope that tonight you would consider Christ. You consider Jesus. You consider surrendering your life to Jesus. Be willing to give up everything for the sake of the gospel and know that it's worth it. Know that it's worth it. For those of you that are sons and daughters of the Most High God, let's live as members of this household, as citizens in this kingdom, as building stones in this temple. Let's be a place where God's spirit dwells and where Christ rules and reigns in our hearts. And let's change the world with the gospel because there used to be two Jew and Gentile. Now there's a third Christian child of God, member of the household, citizen in the kingdom. That's an identity that you can hang on to change your life forever, change your eternity forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, I pray that tonight you would open our hearts, that we would respond to you. That students would respond to you. Whatever 
manner, you see that you would have them to respond, that you'd move in our hearts, move in our lives. I pray that, that you would bring conviction and clarity to those that don't have a relationship with you, Jesus. I thank you for these students, so many new faces and so many that have been here before, so many partnerships for the gospel as we labor together for the gospel. We contend for the faith, pastors and parents and leaders and SWO staff. And we want to see students get it. We want to see them understand. I pray tonight you'd help them to see that there's a kingdom that awaits them. There's a family that awaits them. There's a place where they're no longer strangers and aliens and Christless and separated from God, where hostility is removed. I pray tonight you draw people to yourself. The kids would call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. We love you in Jesus' name.